The last few times that Christmas Day fell on a Sunday were 1994, 2005, and 2011. You can get ready for 2022. It's coming again in six years. It'll then happen again in 2033, 2039, 2044, and 2050. Of course, it'll keep happening in regular cycles, but I realized as I was going through this that I'll be 72 if I make it to 2050, so I stopped counting there. I do hope to retire at some point. Then it'll be someone else's to to worry about. Now, if we rewind the clock back further to the original Christmas Day, uh, we don't actually know the year, much less the day in which Jesus was born. As I mentioned last night, the choice to celebrate Jesus' birthday on December 25th was not decided upon until the middle 300s. Before then, Christians celebrated his birth at different times, including March, April, May, and November. Uh, birth records were not kept for Jesus or any other um, peasants born in the backwaters of Galilee 2,000 years ago. We do, however, have vital records for some aristocrats like Herod the Great. And if there's any truth to the biblical claim that Herod was the ruler of Judea when Jesus was born, um, then we do know that Jesus was born no later than 4 BCE because that is the year that Herod died. So Jesus' birth is often estimated to be somewhere between 4 and 6 BCE during the last one or two years of Herod's life. These sorts of historical critical questions related to the quest for the historical Jesus fascinate me, but on this Christmas morning, I'm interested not only in whether the um, details of Jesus' birth stories are factual, the answer is not so much, But I'm also interested in the meaning and the power of these stories both then and now. Irrespective of whether all those details actually happened in history, there's a reason that the stories were told and retold, a reason that often has continuing relevance today. Now, if you grew up with Christmas pageants featuring traditionally children in white robes as angels and children in bathrobes as shepherds and wise men... Uh, it can be shocking to read the Bible for yourself if you're heavily invested in, in the, you know, those pageant details to discover that almost every Christmas pageant wildly conflates two that significantly different versions of Jesus' birth narrative. One is in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. The other is in the first two chapters of the Gospel according to Luke. To briefly expand our frame of reference, it's interesting to note that in contrast to Matthew and Luke, which begin their gospel with Jesus' birth, the chronologically earlier gospel of Mark begins with Jesus as an adult. The chronologically even later gospel of John goes way back to creation to begin his gospel. So, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So interestingly, the later the text was written chronologically, the farther back and the more elevated the uh, claims that are made about Jesus. So Paul, our earliest written source about the Jesus tradition, written only 20 or 30 years after Jesus' death, still a long time, uh, mentions Jesus' birth twice, but doesn't mention that it's exceptional in any way other than him being a descendant of David. We get that from Romans 1-3, and we get from Galatians 4-4 that he was, quote, born of a woman. No huge shocker there. Um, 
Mark, written approximately 10 years later, 40 years after Jesus' death, starts his story with Jesus' baptism, so Jesus as an adult. Writing approximately 10 years after Mark, Matthew and Luke start the story much earlier with Jesus' birth. Writing yet another decade or so later, John again starts with that story of creation. Now, there's a lot more to say about that. I'll actually be teaching a class for the next four years in a uh, row in the spring called Band Questions About the Bible. So if any of you want to go into more detail, we'll kind of do Genesis through Kings, then the rest of the Hebrew Bible, then I'll do Jesus and the Gospels, then I'll do uh, the rest of the Christian scriptures. But for now, to return our focus to Christmas, imagine that we're preparing to stage a Christmas pageant that was going to be based either on Matthew's version exclusively or on Luke's version exclusively. Now, Matthew, for example, is the only gospel that has the story of Joseph's dream warning the Holy Family to flee to Egypt, as C. Raven was singing about earlier. Matthew is also the only gospel with magi bringing gifts, so you only get kids in bathrobes being magi if you're in Matthew's pageant. And you all know the trick about the trick question about how many magi were there, right? So there are three gifts. There aren't necessarily three magi. We only know that there's magi plural, not magus singular. There could have been 50. We just know there was more than one. Also, according to Matthew, Jesus is from Bethlehem. He's from Bethlehem, he's born in Bethlehem, and he relocates to Nazareth to escape Herod by way of Egypt. It's only in Luke that Jesus is from Nazareth, travels to Bethlehem for a census that never happened, which is, you know, why would you, for a census, you want to know where people are so you can find them and tax them. You don't send them back to their hometown temporarily to count them, right? That's not how one does a census. So it's only in Luke that Jesus is from Nazareth, travels to Bethlehem, and then returns to his hometown of Nazareth. Luke is also the only gospel with shepherds, the only gospel with an angelic annunciation to Mary about Jesus' miraculous conception. Another interesting distinction is if you take out that long genealogy about Jesus' ancestry that's at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, then Matthew's version is only 31 verses, whereas Luke's version is four times longer, coming in at almost 131 verses. So imagine, act one, scene one of a Matthew-only pageant. It would open with Joseph as the main character. There would be no story of the birth itself, no swaddling clothes, no stable, no manger, no angels singing to shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth. All of those are from Luke. Scene two would be the story of the Magi following the star and meeting King Herod. Next, we'd have that adoration of the Magi presenting the gifts, the flight to Egypt to escape, Herod's slaughter of the innocents, and then the return to Nazareth. It's really surprising how little of Matthew's birth story of Jesus has anything to do with Jesus. Jesus is almost off stage in Matthew's version. There's no story of circumcision, no story of him being blessed as an infant um, by Simeon and Anna, no story of him later at age 12 in the temple amazing the teachers with his wisdom. All of those are from Luke. Instead, the narrative dynamic of Matthew's story focuses on Joseph and his dilemma. It's sort of our patriarchal version of Jesus' story, uh, as well as Herod and his unsuccessful attempt to destroy Jesus. Conversely, if we were to stage a pageant based solely on Luke, um, John the Baptizer's parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, would be major roles, as would women generally. Whereas in Matthew, Mary is this completely passive, silent figure, neither speaking nor receiving any revelation. In Luke's version, Mary is a main character, and it's Joseph who is almost invisible. 
Another distinguishing feature of Luke's pageant would be music. Luke's version is the only place we get the Benedictus sung by Zachariah, the Magnificat sung by Mary, the Nunc Dementis sung by Simeon, and the Heavenly Chorus sung by the angels. Now, if we had more time, there's a lot more to say about the ways that these birth narratives very strongly echo themes from the Hebrew Bible. So although, as I said earlier, there's many ways in which these stories were made up, they were not made up out of thin air. They are powerful recapitulations of themes from the Jewish Torah, from the Jewish prophets, a result of reflecting on what does the life and the teachings and the death and continuing experience of Jesus, what does this mean in the context of Jewish oppression within the Roman Empire? Most explicitly in Matthew, there are multiple ways that Jesus is symbolically represented as a new Moses, such that Herod and likewise Caesar become the new Pharaoh, and we know what happens to Pharaoh. In Exodus 1 to 2, Pharaoh plots to kill all newborn males. Exodus 1 to 2, what happens in Matthew 1 to 2? The exact same plot structure, just with Herod substituted instead of Pharaoh. Just as the Torah is traditionally known as the five books of Moses, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's no coincidence that Matthew has, just like those five books of Moses, five divine dreams, five scriptural fulfillments, five major addresses by Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is the first of what are, and then there are four more. Similarly, the story of the Magi, that comes right out of Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6. The larger hope is that Jesus might show a new way of resistance and resilience within this context of the Roman Empire. That just as Moses and Joshua, Joshua, Jesus, right, Yeshua, just as Moses and Joshua led the people out of slavery under Pharaoh and led them to liberate the promised land from the Canaanites, so too the hope was to overthrow Rome. And, you know, it's no coincidence that there was strongly emphasized that David was an ancestor of Jesus. That he had to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, because they wanted a, uh, it was under David that we first had this united monarchy uh, in the Promised Land. So today these stories continue to point us to the ways that resistance and resilience can come from the unlikeliest of places. To Even from a child born in poverty and homelessness and among animals to parents who would soon flee and become refugees in Egypt. Resistance and resilience can come from anywhere. And so this Christmas morning, what new life, what new hope might be beginning to be born in you, beginning to be born in our community, in our nation, in our world? Keep looking for it in the coming days and weeks, perhaps even in some quite surprising places.